Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, the 2023 state legislative session is up and running, and as many observers had feared, Republican legislative leaders appear to have made the pursuit of their controversial social agenda a top priority. From restricting abortion rights to targeting LGBTQ kids for discrimination to further undermining voting rights in the state's already inadequate gun safety laws. Fortunately, the legislature is not without strong voices in opposition to this approach, and earlier this week I caught up with one such caring and thoughtful lawmaker, Wake County State Senator Sidney Batch. And while she's deeply concerned about the direction things are headed on Jones Street, Batch also told me she hasn't given up hope for finding common ground on some issues. Well, Senator Sidney Batch, welcome to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So the legislative session off to um, probably not a very encouraging start. A lot of controversial legislation. There's some good legislation. We don't know how far it's going to get, but some of that legislation is some that you have sponsored. And you've sponsored some legislation, Senate Bill 12 and 19, which are about codifying some of the longstanding protections for abortion rights that American women have come to grow used to. Talk to us about that legislation and just your general take on where things stand in the fight for reproductive freedom in our state. Yeah, so we just got out of a pretty contentious election cycle where Roe was on the ballot. And I think that women showed up all across the state to make their voices known and heard. And while in the Senate, we are unfortunately in a super minority as Democrats, doesn't mean that we, of course, just sit there on our hands and do nothing. I think that we are all compelled to file bills and to advocate for our constituents' positions. For me and in my district in particular, Roe is extremely important. Reproductive rights is extremely important, both to men and women. And so I thought it incumbent and very necessary for us to just put our stake in the ground, right? This is this is the flag. This is the hill we're going to die on as Democrats in the Senate and the House also. And we had every single member of the Democratic caucuses, both in the House and the Senate, file those companion bills and sign on. And I think that that shows us where we stand um, and that we're going to stand with women and believe that women and doctors and their families are in the best position to make decisions about their lives rather than the legislature. You mentioned the November election. One of the facts about that election was that we saw ballot initiatives across the country, even in deeply red states in which it was clear that the majority of voters were in favor of reproductive choice. Do you have any doubt that that would be the case in North Carolina if we ever put it to the the voters here? Yeah, I don't have any doubt that it would still land with protecting the right to have an abortion, right? In much more Republican states, that's what we saw across the board. And I think in districts like mine, you see the importance of how that actually matters. And when you talk to people in general, right, about the decisions about what they want government to be involved in or not, this is one decision that categorically, I think across the board um, and by a majority, people believe that there should be a right to abortion for various reasons. And I mentioned to somebody the other day that, you know, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I did not take a poll and call my colleagues at the legislature to ask them whether or not a mastectomy versus a lumpectomy was going to give me the best chance of surviving my diagnosis, right? I called my oncologist. I talked to my surgical oncologist. I talked to all of my doctors that were involved in my treatment. And they told me what was best. And I relied on them. And I talked to my husband and I talked to my family members to make a decision that was going to give me the best chance of survival, right? And so this is no different. We need to allow for doctors and medical professionals to be in those discussions with women when they're making decisions about their bodies and what in their own futures. 
Well, we hope that over time that that the overwhelming majority of public opinion will finally have an impact on our legislature. And over time, we'll get to that point in the law. Speaking of laws in which um, maybe we ought to be listening to physicians and experts, we had another sort of remarkable piece of legislation introduced recently in the General Assembly, sort of the misnamed Parents' Bill of Rights. It's interesting, you know, our our schools right now are struggling with so many things, with low funding, with daily threats of gun violence, and yet it seems that the Republican majority has made this bill of sort of targeting LGBTQ people their top priority for the session. I'm sure you've been paying attention to that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, we're in a situation right now that at a time in which suicide rates among children have drastically increased. And I think a study in 2019 came out, Child Fatality Task Force, stating that I believe 20% of students thought and considered in the past year thought about committing suicide. 10%, I believe, attempted suicide. We have bullying. We have code red drills that are happening every single day. Wake County just this past week had lockdowns in various schools because of threats that were made and guns that were actually found on campus that were loaded. I mean, we are raising children in a very different time. When we were growing up, I never had a code red drill. But I routinely get emails. My kids are in the fourth and sixth grade. And I remember in the first grade that my son's teacher emailed us and said to the entire class, I want you to know we were in the cafeteria during the code red drill. We had to shove everyone into one of the closets and turn off the lights. Many kids became very upset and started crying. We told them they had to be quiet. And so it took us a while to then self-regulate. We did some, you know, breathing and meditation when we got back to the classroom, but please talk to your children about this. So at a time when we know that school violence, gun violence, mental health issues are at the forefront of parents' minds, right? A recent study said parents categorically are more concerned about one, mental health issues with regards to their children, and then two, uh, safety in schools. The Republicans are, of course, sowing division, unfortunately and focusing on the wrong priorities. We should be focused on mental health. We should be focused on school safety. And yet the funding that needs to happen with regards to school-based mental health, the issues with regards to actually having teachers in classrooms and social workers and counselors and all of the things that actually could assist in the successful future of our children is not being focused on. So I'm actually going to be filing a parent and student bill of rights uh, today. And we're going to go ahead and, and talk about the importance about our vision for what our schools and for what our students and what our parents deserve, which is going to be very different than the Republican bill that you've already seen. We're talking with Senator Sidney Batch, who's serving her second term as a state senator representing Southern Wake County. Senator Batch, we were talking before we went on the air about the fact that you're one of just two moms in the North Carolina Senate with school-aged kids. You think that's part of the issue? Do you, I mean, I wonder if it's just it's gotten to the point where state lawmakers may be stuck in a time warp and think of schools and the discussions that kids have and the reality of their lives, you know, from the 70s and 80s, perhaps, rather than what's really being experienced today. I wonder if you think that's an issue. You know, I do. I think that a good government looks like the people it serves, right? So, Unfortunately, we do not have that same makeup in the General Assembly with it being part-time and with very low pay. Most people cannot obviously work full-time at the legislature and then also keep the lights on and, and pay their bills. So you, it's skewed toward older individuals who are retired. And their voices are just as important as sure. working moms and working dads that we have in the legislature. The challenge, though, is in these particular situations, 
it is very, very hard to envision what schools look like and the challenges that children are facing in the social media world, in the bullying world, in the safety world that we just did not have any context for, right? Not even when I was in school and certainly not when my colleagues' children who are me that were in school, right? Many of my colleagues have children who are my age. And so it's very hard to envision what schools look like. I think if we had more of those voices and you understood the stress that kids are under, parents are under, teachers, et cetera, then they perhaps would see a very different vision for what we should be focusing on. Seems like one minor partial solution to this problem is an issue you've identified in the past, and that would just be to have enough school counselors and psychologists and therapists available for kids to actually access and I guess, as we've talked about before, that ain't the case in North Carolina. We don't have those numbers right now, right? Right. Yeah, no, we don't at all. I mean, when you look at the numbers, I think that school social workers, their ratios are almost four times what's recommended, right? It's like one to 250. I think it's one to 1,100 in most schools. We don't have nurses. We don't have, some schools are splitting nurses. With psychologists, we don't have that. With school counselors, we don't have that, right? So all of these mental health providers and professionals who used to be in the school with a lot of school-based mental health are no longer there. And many of them are forced to leave their workplace because they can make more money in private practice than we do right now within our school system. And, you know, the solution, in my opinion, isn't that hard. We find kids in two places, right? The pediatrician's office and schools. So if we could actually identify kids very early on and get them connected in the community to resources, especially mental health, and also in the schools if their parents cannot get them to their mental health provider because of transportation or other issues, we could solve a lot of these issues. We have to be creative, but we also have to have the willingness and the desire and the passion to really decide that this is going to be a priority and that we're going to, of course, ensure that our children have the best shot in life. And of course, there are a lot of positions we have funded in the education world. We have a lot of slots for teachers that are going begging these days because we just have a huge outflow from the teaching profession. Do you have any doubt that funding has got to be a big part of the solution? I mean, if Senator Berger, the Republican leader of the Senate says, no, no, funding's not what it takes, but it's hard to see how that wouldn't be the case when there's so many other higher paying jobs that people are leaving the teaching profession to go to. Money doesn't solve every problem, but it solves a lot of problems, right? (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at where we are with education, like with pay, Other states are not having the issue that we are having regarding teachers. And we're also talking about poor people spending, right? So if a teacher is asked to make a certain amount of money, which is lower than the vast majority of states across this country, and then is asked to be the social worker, the nurse, the counselor, the best friend, the parent, you're you're giving them way too much to handle. And they're dealing with their own stressors, including many teachers who are working second jobs. And it's no different for school social workers, school counselors, et cetera, because the pay is not what it is as compared to what they can do in a different market. So it's not the only issue, right? There are other things that we need to do to invest. But if you actually address per people spending, then you could address some of these other issues specifically with regards to teachers and the pipeline and the stress that they're under. Well, we don't want to make this a complete uh, downer conversation. There is a bill that you're co-sponsoring this year, Senate Bill 67, the Firearm Safe Storage Awareness Initiative that appears maybe this year, maybe we'll actually get this thing through. We know that just regardless of what your position is on guns and gun ownership, if people would just lock up the ones they have, we could maybe save a lot of lives, undoubtedly save a lot of lives. And so are you feeling any sense of optimism this uh, session on uh, safe storage? 
Yeah, actually I am. I co-sponsored the bill. I don't think it goes far enough, right? This is an education piece. I'll take whatever we can get at this point to just educate individuals. I think we do need a safe storage law in this state. You know, as a gun owner, I believe that people should have the right to have their guns, but I also believe that kids should be safe in their homes and that they should be kept away from people who are mentally unstable and children in general, right? So my gun is in a lock say where my kids don't know what the code is and never will know what the code is, right? Those are the responsible nature and actions that we can take if you're going to put yourself in that position because I want my children and every other child to be safe. So yes, I'm very happy. Um, It's actually being filed, I think, in the house as well as a companion bill. So I hope that it moves through without any uh, disagreement. It is an education bill. Again, I do believe that we need to go farther than just educating individuals. We have to have more incentives. And I think that we should actually have a requirement. That's just me. But I think that many gun owners believe that it is responsible to make sure that you lock your gun up and at least keep it away from children, right? So trigger locks, gun safes, there are a lot of things that we can do in that space in order to uh, tamp down on gun violence and allowing um, dangerous people to access weapons. The Lord knows we need that desperately these days. We thank you so much for your sponsorship of that legislation and your service to our state in so many other ways. We know it can be daunting task you got over there sometimes, but please keep the faith, keep up the great work, and uh, we'll check in uh, with you later this spring and uh, see how things are going. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up next, one of the state's top voting rights attorneys discusses the state Supreme Court's troubling decision to revisit two landmark rulings decided just months ago. Don't go away. 